Amen. Well, I want to get right into this word this morning. Um, it's probably the most struggle that I've had in preparing a message um, and, and trying to break it down. I sat down this past week to study out what I thought I was going to preach this morning. And um, it just kept expanding and kept getting bigger and I kept seeing more stuff. So um, it's probably the, the biggest struggle that I've had to uh, break it down and, and really decipher the parts of it and what we're going to talk about this morning. But I believe I've got a word from the king this morning. So we want to get right into it. Let's start with uh, Romans chapter 10. Well, first, I need to go here. Let me do this. Um, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 3. I'm going to read this in a uh, translation that you're probably not going to have. I'm going to read this in New Living Translation. Um, so just listen, but I need to open up here. And in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. These guys came specifically to see Jesus and to hear what he had to say. And they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? And they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. So they've seen the disciples, and they are doing something that by tradition is what you do on the outside, washing your hands before you eat. The regular old tradition that was something that they followed and they kept. And so they're asking Jesus why his disciples do this. And Jesus responds with the question. He doesn't just answer them. He responds with the question. And he says, Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? So basically he points back and says, what you're doing by tradition is actually leading you to disobey God's commands. And you think that by your traditions, and remember they were Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of religious law, which meant that they were all about what you do and what you don't do, what you say and what you don't say, what you wear, how you look, the people you hang out with. And they were so traditional in their thinking that they could now not even hear the message that Jesus was preaching. And what did Jesus come to preach? He said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And these men, these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, were so locked up in tradition by man that God's commands went by the wayside and they couldn't even hear what Jesus was saying. He actually points out a command here if you keep going. He says in verse 4, for instance, God says, honor your father and mother. Anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say that you don't, eat, you don't need to honor your parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. Eventually what came of it, was that their traditions had led them so far away from God's commands and God's words that they weren't even applying God's commands to their life anymore. But on the outside, they looked good because they were doing the right thing, saying the right thing, 
the you know the the law said to do this and they did it. The law said don't do this and they didn't do it. But they ended up violating God's commands in the midst of that. And Jesus goes on and down in verse 10, Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear and he says, "Listen and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. What he eventually points out is, on the outside, you think you're all good. And on the outside, you look a certain way, you got your traditions down, you're doing the right thing, saying the right thing. But on the inside, you're actually being defiled because what's coming out from the inside is disrespect and disobedience to God's commands. What's the point I'm trying to make? There are traditions that man has set in churches, in religion, in God's word. And their scapegoat is, well, I'm doing what the Bible says. But all it has become is religious ritual. All it has become is I do the right thing, I say the right thing, but their heart, remember what Isaiah said, they serve me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And this is an issue that Jesus dealt with in his ministry. And they didn't hear what Jesus was saying. They, didn't, they couldn't comprehend the kingdom, and they eventually killed him because they didn't see what he was preaching and what he was bringing for what it was because their hearts weren't in it. And so what we're going into today, the reason I bring this up this morning is because what I'm going to be discussing, what I'm going to be preaching today is a, a very religious thing. That in churches we say this, we do this, um, and we think we're all right with it. But when you really start breaking down translations and understanding what words mean, you're going to find that we probably need to redefine this word. You know, we've seen that a lot with the kingdom, that it causes us to redefine a lot of things. It causes us to have to look at things and see that there's actually a whole different light behind it. And... Um, this is just beginning this morning. I wish that you know our congregation was larger this morning. We had more people because we're going somewhere, and what I'm laying to this morning is going to carry us into the next few weeks. And I, I really don't know how big this thing is. Um, every time I look at it, I just keep seeing more stuff. I was in here this morning studying out and just kept having more revelation on this thing. I really have two parts that I want to try to get to today, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to get past the first part enough time to leave me time to really break down the second so we're just going to see where we go but let's go to Romans chapter 10 all tradition um, I don't care if you've been in the church one day or 30 years um, what we're preaching today what we're bringing today um, is is going to change some things it's going to change how you look at God's word. It's going to change how you look at your life. It's going to change the things you own and the things, uh, the people that you work with, the places you go. This factor right here um, covers so much ground that, like I said, I can't even cover it all this morning. But we're going to try to lay some stuff. Um, the title of this message is The Lordship Factor. The lordship factor, and it's basically 
what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So let's look at Romans chapter 10. Um, And verse 8 starts with, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is a verse that we've seen a lot. In fact, this is probably a verse that was given you, if you remember when you were born again or saved, you were probably given this verse and said, this is a verse that shows you how to get saved. Right? And we've, we've seen it. You just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Right? Saved from what? Saved from having to go to hell. That's usually the, the surface level that we've seen this at. And uh, we've started to gain more knowledge and we're starting to see some revelation that it's not just being saved from hell. It's being saved from sin so you can live a life holy because you can't be in God's kingdom without being holy, without being righteous. It says in there that confession is made unto salvation. You believe in your heart. The faith causes you to be righteous. And we're going to get into all this stuff. The first thing I want to look at today is in verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth, The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. Here's what this word Lord means. The word Lord actually means supreme in authority. Supreme in authority. Controller or master. To whom a person or things belong over which he has power of deciding. In the church today, I do not believe that we have rightfully defined this word. Because here's what's happening is we have people that are confessing Jesus as Lord. And we have degraded this down to simply a prayer that gets us somewhere. But yet our lifestyle here on earth, how we function, how we operate, what we do, places we go, people we hang out with, none of that changes. And we know that we're supposed to be a good person and do good things. But there is more to making Jesus Lord than churches are preaching. Um, this might be the first time you ever hear what, we're gonna, what, what I have to bring this morning. And churches aren't preaching this. Churches aren't preaching what I'm bringing. Because churches um, have gotten to a level of wanting to cover stuff up rather than take care of an issue, or churches have gotten to a level of, of uh, we want to give you a home that makes you feel good because I know what you did last night is screaming at you and telling you you were wrong. And, you know, I remember someone told me one time that they quit going to a church because every time they went to church they felt convicted. That's good. Conviction is a good thing. Condemnation is a bad thing. Um, condemnation comes from the enemy, comes from Satan. But remember Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But conviction, you know what conviction is? 
Conviction is the Holy Spirit reminding you who you are. That's what, the, that's what conviction is. Conviction is simply the Holy Spirit speaking up and saying, wait a minute, you're not that person anymore, so we don't talk like that. Conviction is you're not the person you used to be, so we don't hang out with those people anymore. That's conviction. And if you come to church and feel convicted, then the church is doing their job. And we hate conviction because it means we have to stop doing something. We have to uh, realize that we did something wrong. But conviction is what keeps us living in the spirit. This is a whole other message, but I have to hit this real quick. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's his job. If you look over in uh, John chapter 16, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is coming to convict. Conviction is part of his job description. I mean, all of us, we have jobs, and if you don't fulfill your job description, they'll fire you. If you don't do what you are at your job to do. And so the Holy Spirit has a job description, and part of his job description is to convict the world of their sin and to convict believers unto righteousness. That simply means to continue to speak up inside of you and say, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, um, as long as you're at a level that something is bothering you, you're good. Meaning that we're headed in the right direction. Now, we don't stay there. You know, we, we get, there's two splits in the church. We either have a church that just preaches truth, 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 and isn't open to God's grace at all. They say, well, you missed it, and you're no good, and you can't make it, and they're self-righteous. Then we've got the church on the other end that's just full of grace, and whatever you do Monday through Saturday can be eradicated and fixed on Sunday, and we're not doing anything to change a lifestyle or keep people from doing that. But this church is right down the middle. This church will say, God is a God, is a God full of grace and full of mercy. He will forget your past. He'll do away with your past. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness, make you righteous again. But there is a position we're supposed to be in. We need to become closer to the Holy Spirit so we can be holy, live the way that he's called us to. And some people, the more and more you sin, uh, you become desensitized. That conviction becomes quieter to where you actually feel okay doing your sin and doing your thing. And that's not the kind of church we are. We don't practice a lifestyle of sin, okay? But this has all come, I believe, from the church not putting the emphasis on making Jesus your Lord. And we just saw that this word Lord means supreme in authority. It means he becomes controller, ruler, master. That means he's calling the shots. Now, I have to give a little background here. Because we understand that what we're in is a kingdom. We're not in a religion. Uh, Jesus is not a religious leader that's saying, uh, here's a bunch of do's and don'ts. This is what you should do. This is, that's not how he controls you. Okay? One of the greatest things that God gave to mankind was a free will. So if you serve God, you serve God because you want to serve God. It has become your will to serve him. So... We understand that we live in a kingdom, and Jesus is a king. But there's a little bit of information that we have to cover here so we fully understand lordship. A king, is his authority is to a territory. A king is not a king unless he has a kingdom. 
if you cannot be a king if you don't have anything to rule over. Okay? A king doesn't just step in and say, all right, today I feel like being a king, but then has nothing to rule over. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. You have to have a territory. You have to have a domain. That's what a kingdom is. A kingdom is a king's domain, which is simply his territory that he has authority over and he rules over. Every king is automatically a lord. Every king is automatically a lord. Okay? They are the only government system that operates that way. A president is not a lord. A governor is not a lord. Okay? And here's what a lord means. The lord means that they actually own the property that they have authority over. So the king side, the king side is I have authority over this territory. The lord side is I own that property that I have authority over. This is key. This is key. Because it's one thing to have authority over something, but it's another thing to own it and actually it be your possession. So that supreme in authority takes you back to controller, master, ruler, but it means that you are actually the owner of that property. The only, the only way we know this, because right now in our government system in America, the president is not a lord. The president doesn't own my house. The president doesn't own my vehicle. The president of the United States doesn't own the land that I'm on. He doesn't. He has no ownership. He's just in authority. But in a kingdom, the king, not only does he rule over the territory of that land, but he also owns it. Now, here's the key with the king owning it. That means that nobody, no citizen in the kingdom owns anything. Now, that's a shocker. That's a shocker. In a kingdom, in an actual kingdom, the king owns the water, the king owns the home, the king owns the land, he owns all the resources, he owns it all. In fact, he owns the people that are in the kingdom, the citizens. Now, you know, this ownership deal becomes a huge deal because... We've seen kings blow it. We've seen bad kings. We've seen kings that are, uh, you know, just after things for themselves, that are selfish, that uh, use their power for wrong. I mean, we see all this. But this is easier to understand when you understand that God is a good God, and he is a good king, and he has our best interest at heart. But making Jesus your Lord is more than just saying a prayer and then turning around and doing what you want to do. There's more to it than that. If you make Jesus your Lord, that means you make Jesus supreme in authority, and he is now the owner of you and your possessions. Let's look at this over in Psalms chapter 24. Psalms chapter 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Look at this. The world is. And those who dwell therein. That means you belong to the Lord. 
When you make Jesus your Lord, you're not just saying that I believe that you died on the cross, rose again, and now hopefully one day I'm going to get to heaven and now I'm looking for a, a future thing, but right now it doesn't change. And it's more than just being a good person. It's more than just doing good things. It's doing what the Lord wants you to do. And it's positioning yourself to follow wholeheartedly after the Lord. And he's the one calling the shots. Let's look at this in Psalms chapter 115. Psalms 115 and verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. Okay? So again, we're seeing that the Lord is the owner of a thing. Now, there's two ways that you can become an owner of something. There's two ways. You can become an owner of something by right of creation, by creating it and making it, and you become the owner of something by buying it or possessing it, redeeming it. Okay? We know that God created the earth. We know that Jesus was there when that happened. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And all things that were created were created by him and for him. So Jesus, who's the Lord, he created the earth. So he owns the earth by right of creation. He put it here. He brought it into place. Okay? Um, The other way that Jesus owns you is by purchasing you. And did he purchase us? We've been bought with a price. Amen? So we, when we give our life to Jesus, we're doing more than just saying a prayer that's giving us access to heaven. We're doing more than just saying a prayer that's getting out of hell. I like to put it this way. Salvation, or life in the kingdom, is more than just independence from Satan. It's actually more of a dependence on God and on a king. See, a lot of people look at salvation as I've been saved from something. But if you've been saved from something, then you've been saved to something. Remember over in Colossians chapter 1 where uh, Paul said that we have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness. But he didn't stop there. He said, we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And we we stop at what we've come out of and we're saved from hell. And if you stop there, your life is is empty. Because now all you're focusing is what you came out of. The children of Israel did this when they came out of Egypt. 430 years in slavery. And 40 years in a wilderness... Just look at what they came out of and did not focus on what they were going to. Canaan was the promised land. And if you go all the way back to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, he starts there. I mean, you're talking thousands of years before Moses is even born. And he's prophesying that I'm going to have a people that are going to possess this land. And he even lets them know. Uh, they're going to go into slavery. I mean, he's telling Abraham, they're going to enter into slavery. They're going to uh, be ruled and controlled in Egypt by man. But I'm going to send 
my servant, to deliver them and bring them back to the promised land. I mean, he calls the shots. It's no surprise. God's not, you know, just trying to figure this thing out just like we are. He's already got it all figured out. God starts at the end of something and then works his way back. He knows the end result, and then he lines everything up. That's why he says that your steps are ordered of the Lord. Why? Because he can take you somewhere. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will be your guide. How many of you want a guide that doesn't know where he's going? How many of you want to go on a tour with someone that's never been where everyone's going? That's not much of a guide. But the Holy Spirit can guide you because he already knows your future. He's already been there. He's already seen it. And now the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. The the Holy Spirit can guide you as long as you stay obedient to him, as long as you stay uh, uh, sensitive to the Spirit of God that's living inside of you and remain righteous, walk in full obedience, your future will be walked out in front of you. And the Holy Spirit can take you there because he's already been there. He's already been in your future. God was well capable of leading the Israelites through the wilderness to the promised land. Why? Because he's already been there. He already knows. He knows exactly how long it's going to take. He knows exactly uh, what they'll have to cross. Were there trials and tribulations? Sure. But had they pressed on and say, no, we're going to stick to God's word, they ended up not even being able to go. And I'll tell you what, your future when you get there, that's where you may face some of your biggest giants. We think that when we get to our future, we're going to arrive and it's just going to be this nice open land. There are people, there are things occupying your future right now. And it's going to be up to you to walk out those steps, get to your future, and then you have to drive out whatever's occupying your future. There might be some fear occupying your future. There are people maybe called to the ministry in this room, and there might be some anxiety of walking that out. Because you remember the Israelites, when they got to Canaan, when they got to the promised land, they sent some spies into the land. You need to spy out your future. And then when they sent the spies, what did they come back with? We had ten with a bad report and two with a good report. And what was the bad report? There were giants in the land. There's somebody else in my future. There's somebody else occupying the land. And they talked themselves out of walking into their own property. God had already given it to them. Just because somebody else is in your future, wherever God's called you, doesn't mean that you can't inhabit it. Doesn't mean you can't live in it. Okay? A lot of times we get to our future and say, oh, wow, that must not have been it then. Just because, no, you have been sent there to drive them out and take over. There might be someone else in that position at work that God's called you to be in because that could be an area of influence for you. Or there might be someone else in that house, in that neighborhood. And we get there and we see these giants. We see these things that try to fight off and try to keep us from occupying the land and the territory that God has called us to live in. And that shouldn't be a surprise because it was the same way with the Israelites. And they ended up they ended up having to go in and through battles and wars, they took over their land. They tore down walls at Jericho and they fought other battles. 
Just because you get there, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to come over the side of a cliff and just see a bunch of green land and nice trees. I mean, the, the benefits were in the land. They came back, you know, they talked about how big the fruit was and how big, uh, you know, the grapes were. But then the giants, okay? I don't even know how I got off on that, but that was that was good. Somebody needed that. Somebody's future, you're getting there. You're walking it out. Your steps are ordained, and you're starting to find that there are things occupying your future. And whoever it is here, that was a word for you. Let it, let it sink in into good ground. Amen? If you have ears, let you hear. Okay? So Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. And a king is automatically, automatically a lord. A king is the owner of something, or a king is the authoritative person over a territory. But the lord part of it, and Lord is just simply an aspect that falls under king, okay? It's just a part of what a king is and what a king does. And that means that he is the owner, being a Lord. So when you give your life to Jesus, you literally give your life to Jesus. Well, what does that require? That requires full submission and full obedience to his will, to what he says. Now, for some of us, that might be a step for us. That might be a level of understanding that we're starting to gain is that he actually owns you now. So you do with your life what pleases him. Uh, let's look over in, uh, we'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 19. says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's exactly what we're talking about. That's lordship. That verse sums up lordship. You are now the temple of somebody else. That's no longer your body. You can't go where you want to go. You can't say what you want to say. You don't do what you want to do. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the living God. And if Jesus is Lord, you will use this temple for his glory. Over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul uses a different terminology. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now, we were all created out of what? Dust of the ground, the earth. And Paul uses a word here. He says, you are God's field. There's a point I want to make here right now. The soil... Ground does not determine what goes into it. And the soil will do its job. It will bear of whatever is sown. Your life is reflected by what is sown in your field. You are the field. Your mind is the field. Your heart is the field. And whatever is sown in your field is what will come out. Whatever, it, I mean, if you were, 
if you grew up, you know, and, and hated as a child, then you'll have hatred come out. If you grew up with terrible parents, um, you might do the same with your kids. Um, if you grew up and, and you saw financial distress, then you might come up, grow up with a view of finances and money that is skewed and wrong. Okay? This is, this is how these things repeat in people's lives. It's because of whatever is sown into that field is what comes out or is what is born. That's what you review. That's what you reflect. So what does the Bible say? The Bible says to guard your heart. We have to learn to watch what is going in through the eye gate and through the ear gate. What you hear and what you see determine what goes into your field, and that is what you will bear fruit of, period. If all you do is, is, is sit in front of movies and sit in front of media, the world can't help you. We wonder why our teenagers have the problems they do. We wonder why our children are off the walls and crazy. Look at the stuff they're watching. Look at the stuff they're listening to. The Disney Channel, MTV, I mean, this stuff, you know, we said last week that we're talking about the flow of information. What's the flow of information? And I'm not the only one preaching. Pastors all across the United States right now are preaching this morning. They're not the only ones preaching this week. I mean, this afternoon, you may watch some football games, and you may see some commercials that are going to preach to you. And so we have to guard our hearts. We have to watch this flow of information. If sickness and disease starts to come on, what report do we want to hear? Do we want to continue to hear the report that's feeding the sickness and the disease? I mean, I mentioned this morning in prayer that, um, you know, you're starting to hear commercials from Walgreens and CVS and Walmart and, 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 and Target, you know, stock up on the flu season stuff. Get the Kleenexes, get the Theraflu, get the NyQuil. What are they doing? They're preparing you for failure. That's all they're doing. They're expecting your body to fail, dictated by the temperature outside and the time of year and what nature is doing. Amen. This is what's happening. And so they begin preaching to you. And faith comes by hearing. Period. We talked about this last week. And your faith will be built on whatever you hear. Guard your heart. Guard your field. You need to set up guards around your field to make sure that what is being sown is the word and what is going to build you up and edify you, encourage you, and strengthen you. The, the area that people go wrong is not in an attack of the enemy. The area that people go wrong is, is not in trials and tribulations. It's in their defense and not being able to fight off that. Okay? So we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our field. We are the field. We are God's field. So guess what? Since we belong to God, he's the one that should be calling the shots on what goes into the field. He's the one that should be calling the shots on what is being sown into the ground and what fruit is coming out. And he talks about it, uh, you know, being attached to the vine. And if it's, if it's not bearing good fruit, what happens? You cut it off so it will bear good fruit. And if it doesn't, then it will be cut off, thrown in the fire, and burned up. I mean, we've seen this. 
but we are that field. If Jesus is Lord, then we don't, we don't have the right to determine what we're going to listen to, what we're going to hear, what we're going to put our minds to. We've got to understand that Jesus is Lord. He is owner, controller, ruler. Uh, the, the only way that we understand this word in this day and age is the word landlord. That's the only, that's the only way we understand it. Uh, we don't have lords in our government system. I mean, the, the mayor of Valdosta, he's not a lord. He doesn't come to your house and say, hey, I need, I need your house and I need to use it for this. He can't do that. He can't take your vehicle and say, I, I need, you have three vehicles and you only need two, so I need to take one of those and give it to this other person because they need it. He can't do that. But a Lord can. And if Jesus is Lord, he not only has a right to you, but he has a right to your possessions. That's kingdom work. And you will quickly find out uh, how much someone uh, is obedient to the Lord, as, or obedient to Jesus as their Lord, by in what they're willing to give up or what they're willing to let go. And um, it's, it can be tougher the more you gain and the harder that you work for it because now you put down, well, I worked hard for this or I've put in so many hours for this or, you know, this is mine because I spent so many years paying for it or trying to pay for it. Or, and we have to realize that it's God's. It belongs to him. It belongs to the Lord. He is supreme in authority, and he owns that which he has authority over, which means he calls his shots on when it can be transferred. But know this, we saw in Matthew 6.33, that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all things are added to us, which means you're taken care of. If you put his kingdom first and the possessions in his kingdom you put him first, you seek him first with those things that he'll add to you. And God, is, God will never take away from someone without giving them back or giving them more. He never does it. He never does it. Okay? Um, let's continue here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We started with verse 9. Let's go down to verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit dwells in you? Again, this is, and you just read, this, is, this is what he said before he went to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's the same thing. Verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Verse 23, and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Now, we've been talking about the church, and he said, my church. And we've been learning that that word, my, doesn't just mean it belongs to somebody, but it means you're actually a part of him. I mean, if, if we really got that revelation that this church is a part of him, there's things that wouldn't happen in churches if we understood that. There's uh, relationships that people have within the church that just wouldn't take place. There's better relationships that would form and take place. Amen? 
because we are his church. But this is all possessive. This is all ownership. And so we've seen that there's a difference between ownership and, and control. There's a difference between actually owning something and actually controlling it. But when you understand who owns you, then you want to use everything that's given to you, all your resources, everything that's made available to you. You want to use it for the kingdom. You want to use it as the Lord wants you to use it. It's by ownership. It's by ownership. Jesus owns us. One more in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, again, is identifying that you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. Somebody else owns you. He starts it out by saying, for I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? That means I have laid down my life. I have laid down my will. I have laid down my thoughts. I've laid down my feelings to pursue the kingdom and to pursue what the Lord wants done. What the Lord wants done in my life. What the Lord wants to do with my things. What the Lord, uh, where the Lord wants me to work. Who the Lord wants me to interact with. You see where we're going with this. It's all possession. Because he wants to use you for the kingdom. You are how heaven gets into the earth. You are how the kingdom operates in the earth. It's through you. It's through each one of us. As individuals that give our lives to the Lord. A life that is not given to the Lord. A life that does not make Jesus their Lord. Is ineffective for the kingdom. Because... There is no way that you can do what you want to do and get the kingdom advanced. It's impossible. We already saw that Adam and Eve, as soon as they gave up their submission to God's authority, that they lost their authority. And they handed it over. You essentially end up using your life for the enemy. When you want to do your purpose. Independence is the most dangerous thing in the kingdom. The most dangerous word. Because doing your own thing actually keeps you from doing God's thing. And if he's the Lord, then he's calling the shots. And his resources are given to you to get that done. And that's the great thing about it. I'm not here to talk to you about how uh, Jesus is now Lord of your life. And you don't get to do anything you want. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that what you want to do ought to be what he wants you to do. As long as your purpose lines up with his purpose, you're going to live the most fruitful and beneficial life. You'll have everything you need. Everything will be taken care of. You'll have no worries. Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25 through 34, Jesus says in there five times, do not worry. Why? Because... Worry hinders you from being purposeful and effective for the kingdom of God. 
Worry does that. If I'm sitting around worried and anxious for myself, then I'm not looking after his things. We talked about this on Wednesday with our responsibility in the kingdom. And so that's where we're going with this, that our responsibility is to use our life and use the resources that God has given us for his kingdom. Let's look at this and um, let's talk about stewardship a little bit. First Peter chapter four, because we already said that as Jesus being Lord, he owns everything, which means we own nothing. I, I don't own it. I don't own my house. I don't own my car. I don't own the things that are given to me. I don't own my time. I don't own my relationships. These are all resources that God has given to man. Why? To get the kingdom work done in the earth. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is what a steward is. A steward is a manager or a controller. And we have been called to stewardship. In essence, we have been called to manage the earth. When God gave his authority and dominion to man, it was not to rule the earth as man wanted to rule the earth. It was to rule the earth as God wanted it ruled. And that is what a manager does. That's what a manager does. And when you manage something, you are taking care of it or uh, operating in it the way God would operate, the way God would do things. It is impossible to operate and manage this earth without heaven's influence properly because we've seen this earth was not designed this earth was never meant to operate apart from heaven and so now we're seeing what's happening the music industry is not reflecting the kingdom of god government is not reflecting the kingdom of god and they're failing the economy is not reflecting the kingdom of god sports are not reflecting the kingdom of god School districts are not reflecting. I mean, I could go on. Why? Because the earth has been taken over, has been taken over by a different God. And it was not meant to operate that way. Finances on this earth were not meant to operate apart from the king. Schools were not meant to operate without the king. And they get pulled out, and what happens? People are... Kids are going to school with guns. you got metal detectors set up. They're going to jail and penitentiaries before they even reach the age of 18. They're dropping out of school. Why? Because the king has been taken out. And when the king's influence is taken out, when heaven's influence is taken out of something in the earth, it fails and it deteriorates. The economy will not get better without the king's influence. I'd have to say that God knows how money should work. I'd have to say that God knows how music could influence people for his kingdom. I'd have to say that God knows how our schools should look and what schools should be doing to prepare people 
for jobs so they could go and make influence for his kingdom. But we've cut that line. We've cut that line, and we've handed that over to a different God. The, the enemy, Satan, he is the God of this world. He is the ruler of this world. Jesus said it himself. And it just simply was not meant to be that way. Just simply was not meant. This earth is not designed to be apart from heaven. And so we see everything failing. We see everything falling short. We see everything deteriorating. Well, how do we get it back? We give our lives to the Lord. We give our resources to the Lord. And we can see the kingdom done through us. I mean, I already said it. The kingdom is not coming into this earth by itself. It's not coming into this earth apart from mankind. God has always been looking for man. He, he looked for man to build a boat when the flood was coming. He looked for a man to raise his staff and take people across a Red Sea. He looked for man to tell someone to dip in a, dip in a river seven times and come up without leprosy. He looking for a man. He was looking for a man to die on the cross. And rise again, be raised up, so that the kingdom could come back. He's looking for a man. He had to send his son as a man in the earth. He's been looking for mankind this whole time. But he's looking for people, he's looking for a people that will make him Lord. That will understand that your life is not your own. And if you simply do what I've called you to do, and if you simply give your thanks to me and allow me to work through you, you will have everything you need. This is lordship. This is lordship. Lordship is not pray a simple little prayer. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus said it himself, that there will be people that will, at the, in the end, they will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because they were servicing him with their lips, but their heart was far from them. We've got to understand lordship. The church is not preaching this. The church is preaching you say a prayer, you get out of hell, and you go to heaven. That's what a lot of churches are preaching. We have to identify what the kingdom looks like. We have to identify what lordship looks like. Let's look at a couple instances that Jesus gives us in his word of stewards. Because there are things that have been given to us that are in our possession, but they are to be used for a different purpose than maybe we've been using them for. Um, real quick, I'll just name some times or some resources that we have. One is time. Time is a resource that has been given to you by God. Relationships with people. That is a resource that has been given to you by God. Vehicles. That is a resource that God has put in your possession for a reason. Your home is a resource. Your job is a resource. Your position at your job is a resource. These are resources that God has placed within our possession, and they are to be used for one thing. They are not to be used for yourself solely. They are not to just be used to how you can make yourself better. A lot of people are, are in the hustle and bustle of trying to climb a corporate ladder because they want to make a name for themselves. 
A lot of people are trying to become the best sports athlete they can because they want to make a name for themselves. They want to break records. They want to be someone that everyone is going to talk about. There are people uh, rocking out on guitars and, and up on stages in front of a ton of people because they want to see what it's like for everyone to look at them and praise them. And that's what the enemy was always after. And if he can use that, if he can get you the car so you can become prideful, if he can get you the house so you can get everyone to look at you, if he can get you um, the, the position at your job so everyone can see what you've risen to and what you've done with your life, if he can get you in that sports position um, and become a great athlete so you can rise, and say, rise to the top and say, look at me and look what I've done and how I've overshadowed, peop- overshadowed people, that's what he's trying to do. Pride is the greatest thing that is, is the greatest deception that the enemy has. Because if he can get you prideful, it pulls you away from your purpose in the kingdom. And so we take these resources that we have and we use them improperly for ourselves. Well, it's my time. I'll do what I want with my time. It's my family. I'll do what I want with my family. It's my vehicle. I'll do what I want with my vehicle. And this, you know, these things can hit home. But I, I believe that this morning it's helping us understand that there's a greater purpose. There's a greater purpose. God wants you to have great things. God wants you to have the nice things. God wants you to have those things. But he wants you to use them for the kingdom of God. Give people a ride to church. That's using your vehicle for the kingdom. Letting people stay at your home, that's using your vehicle for the kingdom. Using relationships that you have to make influence for the kingdom. We have to become kingdom-minded in these things. Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells a, a parable. And in verse 12, well, verse 11, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. <clears throat> verse 12, therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered, the, delivered to them ten minus and said to them, do business Till I come. One translation says, Occupy till I come. You are in this earth to occupy something. You are in this earth to do business, to be busy. If you are doing business, that means you are busy. But a lot of people are busy not doing God's thing. And a lot of people are busy and ineffective. And that's a terrible way to live. To find out that you were busy doing a bunch of stuff that had nothing to do with your life. And they could even be using the resources that God gave them, but use them improperly. He said, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. They're supposed to be doing business. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minuses. 
And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little, having have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Jesus, being Lord, did he still own the money? Yes. But he gave it to the people as a resource and expected those people, expected those servants to do with it as he would have done with it. I'm telling you, Jesus, if he was given the resources that we have, would be doing something with it, would be trading and become profitable. What was one of the first commands that God gave Adam in the garden? Be fruitful and multiply. Why is multiplication such a huge thing? In a kingdom, a king's wealth is determined and reflected by how much he expands and what he does with the resources that are available to him. This is why God expanded from heaven to earth. Because a king is always looking to expand his kingdom. And Jesus came back and said, the kingdom of God is within you, which means that we advance the kingdom by getting the kingdom in people. And the more people that we reach the kingdom with and influence the kingdom with, we are advancing the kingdom. In fact, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 said that this government was an everlasting government and that it was always advancing. This kingdom is always growing, and it's growing through us. Be fruitful and multiply. That command is still necessary today. We should be fruitful, and we should be multiplying with what God has given us. He said you should have at least put it in the bank. He's still looking for something that's profitable. He's still looking to gain a profit. He does not want to give you something, and then you turn around and you give just that back to him. That's not what he's looking for. He said to those who stood by, take the miner from him, give it to him who has ten. But they said to him, Master, he has ten. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. What are we looking at? We are seeing that we have become stewards over something that God has given us. And we are to reap, be profitable, be productive, and multiply, be fruitful with what's given us. Right now, I'm giving you something. I'm giving you the word of God. And you should go out, take that word, and become fruitful with it. It should be sown into your field into your heart. You should study it out. Cause it to grow. Cause that word to bear fruit. And then 
you bear fruit and multiply it by talking to other people and sharing the word with other people. This is kingdom work. We can't get stuck, well, I don't have the nicest car, or I don't have the nicest house, or I don't have the greatest job, or I don't have the best position. You don't limit God there because his resources are unlimitable. And you will find, he says, if you are faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. You know what he's looking for? He's looking for you to be faithful and fruitful with what you have now. And there will not be, God, I didn't have as much as that person. The guy with one. In fact, in this instance, this parable, they were all given the same amount. And one turned his one into ten. One turned his one into five. And the other one just kept his one. The other parable in Matthew chapter 25, one was given two. Or one was given five, one was given two, and one was given one. And that was dependent upon their ability. God's looking for you to prove yourself at the area that you're at now before he gives you more influence. If you can't handle a hundred, he's not going to give you a thousand. If you can't handle uh, the people that are in your job and on your line now, then he's not going to move you to a position where you're a leader over many. You have to be faithful with the small things before God makes you and gives you greater things. That's maturity. The prodigal son, that is a, that's not a story about repentance and forgiveness. That's a story about someone getting something too soon and being immature with it. Because the inheritance was his. But he wasn't meant to use it and do with it on his own what he wanted to do. There was still a Lord over it. And instead of seeking that out, he went and sought out, what's my will? What are my feelings? What are my thoughts? Became independent with what was given to him instead of seeking out, what should I do with this? And spent it all. So God has given us resources. Since Jesus is Lord, he owns you and everything that you own. That's the great thing about a Lord. You know, it is this concept that keeps envy and jealousy from happening. Because when you realize that you don't even own the things that you have, then we're all on the same level. And that's just what God has entrusted to you. And if you're looking to get more, then you have to be faithful with where you're at. Simple concepts. This is lordship. This is lordship. This is what's missing in the church. This is what uh, people are staying away from. This is what people are not preaching. Because what does it do? It puts responsibility. You become responsible for what you hear. Um, It's probably every week that I sit down and do a message that God gives me something that, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I don't want to preach. Because I have to think, how will the people receive it? How will they hear it? Will they understand that? Or will they, uh, will they be accepting of that? Will they understand that's the word of God? I have to battle with that all the time. But the battle is easy for me because I know that it's not about me. It's about what the word says. And if they reject that, it's, they're rejecting the word. They're not rejecting me. But I have to preach what God tells me to preach. 
I have to say what God tells me. I don't say what people want to hear. I preach what God wants me to say. Very simple. And that's, that's, that's where I have my relationship, and that's where I have my responsibility and my accountability to, is the word of God, and to preach that. So I deal with that. I know that there are probably pastors all across this nation right now that probably were told to preach something else this morning that may have backed out of it because they weren't sure how their congregation. And I don't care if there's 10,000 people in here or 10 people in here. One of the great, uh, one of the great things that pastors run into is as their church grows, uh, they get locked in on the people that are there and worry about running them off. Or saying something that might keep them from coming back. Or something happening in the church that might bring question. Or might bring offense. Offense causes you to change something. If you become offended about it, then it causes you to rise to confront it. And confront an issue. Okay? Jesus offended a lot of people in his ministry. In fact, in that passage that we just read at the beginning, in Matthew chapter 15, later on down there, his disciples came back and said, Lord, do you understand that you just offended them? Do you understand that what you just said offended the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And he responded with, it's not what you eat. It's not what you put in a body that defiles you. It's what comes out. It's not what I told them. It's how they received it and how they produced it. That's what will defile them. If they were offended, then maybe they need to look at the word and see, is this truth? And I need to change my thinking. That's why he said, repent for the kingdom. What's he doing? He's saying, you have to change your thinking if you're going to hear what I have to say. You have to change the way you're thinking if you're going to receive what I'm telling you right now. And he, he opened that up. John the Baptist did the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near you. Change your thinking. Change the way you see things. Change the way you think. This isn't religious duty. This isn't religious ritual. This isn't, I'm doing this at the right time, and I'm going here, and I'm praying on this street corner, and everyone can hear what I'm saying, and I say all the right spiritual things, and I dress the right way. It's not about that. And we're going to get into that, because we're going to find out that there's more to this lordship than we think. We're going to discover what the law is, and we're going to discover what Jesus did by coming and the fulfillment that his life brought. Okay? But he is the owner. God is looking at how we will be accountable with what he's given us. If Jesus is the owner, then we simply become managers or stewards of what we have. That means we're no longer the owner. But we are held accountable for how we manage something. If you live in a house that, you know, is rented, there's you have a landlord. And they are the owner of that house. But they don't dictate what goes in and out of the house. They might set some ground rules, but as far as the daily action of the house, they don't say, uh, you know, you, you can't go in the house at this certain time or you have to be out of the house at this certain time. Uh, they don't say you have to have this light on and this light off. They don't do that. You dictate and manage that thing. You take care of the electric. You take care of the water. You take care of the actual house itself. They're a manager or they're the owner 
but you control the thing. And we've already seen ownership versus control. We've seen that God owned the earth by right of creation, but he placed us on the earth to control it or manage it. And we will be held accountable for that. We will be held accountable and be held responsible for how we manage the things on this earth. And the same thing with our own lives, with our own bodies, with the relationships that we have. These are all areas that we are held accountable because he is Lord. He is Lord. Uh, I would venture to say that there are many people that think they've made Jesus their Lord but haven't. And it may cause us, each one of us, to look inside. And it's not a, I'm not, this isn't a fear factor. This isn't trying to get you to doubt your salvation. That's not what this is about at all. This is about if you realize to this day that man, you know, I said that prayer and that's all it was, was a prayer. But I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to lay my life down. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, which means he's not saying that I kill my flesh. He's saying that I put down my will. I put down my desires. I put down my thoughts. I put down my feelings. And I come up under his control. I come up under his guidance. I come up under his ownership. He is supreme in authority. And, you know, we may have to determine that. We may have to determine that in our own lives. I can't go much further. If I get too much further, I'm going to get off in this thing. So I'm just just going to close it there with lordship. And we'll get in next week, and we're going to dive in a little bit further. But I have to lay that groundwork of Jesus as our Lord. Savior is what he did. Lord is who he is. Okay? We have to understand that. Accepting Jesus as your Savior, you're just saying, I believe that he died on the cross and rose again. Accepting Jesus as your Lord means he owns me and everything that I own and controls. And, you know, we don't like that in America. Somebody owns you. Somebody controls you. So we have to renew our mind. We have to renew our thinking. The government systems of this world have obliterated what a kingdom should look like. When you understand a kingdom and you understand that your king has your best interests at heart, he's got the best thing for you. That's not hard. That's easy. That's easy. It's hard on your flesh. It's hard on your flesh because that that independence wants to rise up. But when we've learned that we are more dependent on a king than we are independent from the enemy, our lives will change. This will change your daily behavior. This will change your relationships. This will change uh, your dealings at work. This will change it all because we are giving our lives. Jesus, that means he's, he's doing what he needs to do. He's doing what he needs to do with you. He's placed you in positions and, and placed things in your hand because he's got a work he needs you to do. He has a kingdom that he needs to bring to this earth, and we are the ones bringing that kingdom. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for this word.